Hey, welcome to the Bite Size Bible. I'm Mark Dickey. So glad that you could join me. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church with my mom and my brother pretty regularly. And for the longest time, I thought church was just something good people do. And it wasn't until high school where I got invited to this thing called Young Life, where I realized that having faith in God and Jesus was more than, than a Sunday thing. It affected your, your daily life. It goes well beyond Sunday mornings. And Young Life was special because it was so different. You know, you'd show up at, at seven o'clock, you'd hang out for a half hour, we'd play games, sing songs. And I'm not talking about Chris Tomlin, I'm talking about things like Sweet Home Alabama, uh, Tom Petty, uh, any artist you could think of, we probably sang it. And the first time I went, I had no clue that this was a Christian organization. I was there for over an hour before the name of Jesus was even mentioned. And you see, Young Life every week was like an hour, hour and a half. But it wasn't until the last 10 minutes of the night when, when they talked about Jesus. And it was these short 10 minute little stories about a God who loves us that led me to make a decision to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. As I yearned for more, really wanting to increase my faith and my knowledge, uh, I quickly learned that trying to binge the Bible, if we want to use Netflix terms, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's, it's overwhelming, quick, you just can't do it, it's not a good idea. And so I thought it would be really cool to boil down the Bible into key concepts and make it as simple as possible to understand. This podcast won't replace your Bible, but I think it'll be a good place to start. But since this podcast's mission is to explain the Bible in its simplest form, I thought it would only make sense to invite the people who helped me understand it in the first place. I'd like to welcome to the Bite Size Bible Podcast, my Young Life leaders, Matt and Trevor. Hey, guys. Hey. How are hey. you? How are you? <laughs> so uh, you, both of you are currently on staff with Young Life. Um, we'll get into more of your stories as we go. Um, but I, I want an elevator pitch from, from who you guys are. So, so Matt, if you had a brief 10 to 20 second elevator ride and somebody said, hey, who are you? What would you say? Uh, I'm Matt Windsor. I am the husband of one, the father to three. And my life's mission is to share the gospel, lead leaders and resource people. That is who Matt Windsor is on a daily basis. Wow. I would say hoarder. <laughs> uh, I, I prefer a procurer of a fine things. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's really good at finding things and uh, seeing their value. Yeah, yeah, old signs and and cool stuff. And He's then always... redistributing them to other people for <laughs> pay or for free. It's wow. true. Wow. Yeah, Matt's a so cool you're guy. A peddler. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yes, a peddler. That's right, really good, so... by the way. That's uh, that sounds like really polished. Yeah, it sounds gonna, like he thought gonna, about I'm it. I'm gonna make my elevator pitch up right here. So who is Trevor Ewing? Uh, I'm just a guy who really uh, cares about people and wants to spend time with students and my family. So father to, father to two, husband to one, to steal Matt's line. Um, yeah, I really I really like people. I really value people, and I want people to know their their given value. Awesome. Now uh, I'm from. Uh, we're all from Queen Anne's County, Maryland. Yeah. So we've got that going for us. Center There's of the universe. Old Bay in our veins. That's it. Um, sure. That's right. And I just have great fond memories of going to Young Life, 
led by both of you at different times in my life, but you were both involved and you know, we'd go to McDonald's afterwards and we just built a relationship together. I, I think that's really cool. Like, you know, you, you guys got to know me before you started talking to me about the Bible so much. So before we get into the actual Bible portion of things, uh, I, I feel like I need to define the word simplify because, you know, we're the bite-sized Bible, we're simplifying the Bible. And I, I looked up the definition. Every good speech starts with, you know, right. Webster's Dictionary of course. says. <laughs> um, it, it says to make less complex. But right. I, I, for this podcast, I want to define simplify as to remove details. And uh, something that's really overwhelming about the Bible is you start talking about somebody and they're like, oh, well, did you read this translation? Did you read this uh, side book written by this person? Or did you look at it with, you know? Well, it almost sounds like elevating critical details. Yeah. Right? Because we're not going to remove the details. The details are still there to find. Yes. Right? But we're going to elevate the critical ones. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're going to put them in bold. Maybe highlight them. And then the other ones are still there. Yeah. So... Like for, for the the for the sake of this podcast, we're gonna remove details that matter. You know, we're not gonna replace your Bible. Right. But I would love to get these simple concepts across. Yeah, take away the things that might trip you up that you know, that you have to spend a lot of time really thinking about mm-hmm. so you can get the essence of what it is. Yeah. So where do we begin? We, we, we're going to start this podcast. We're going to tell you about the, the Bible in a bite-sized way. And I think a, a mistake that a lot of people make it, when they start reading the Bible is they open up to the first page, they open up to Genesis, and they go, it's how I read every other book in my life. This mm-hmm. is where I need to start. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think of that, about that? Like, is that, is that the best place to start when you're talking about Scripture? I mean, I think when you like when you look at the Bible, when you open it, you've got to realize that, you know, there's books of history and there's books of poetry and there are letters and then there are the four gospels. And, you know, so there's all of these different types of writing Hmm. that are all smashed up into 66 books of this, you know, this one book. Uh, So you don't necessarily have to start at the, you know, start in the beginning and, and plow through it. You can, you know kind of go here, go there, uh, and, and see what it says and, and where it takes you. Yeah. Well, so, uh, for the, for this like first season of the podcast, if you will, I really want to focus on Jesus and, and why he matters. Hmm. And when you look at the Bible, it's almost like, you know, he doesn't show up till three quarters of the way through. <laughs> uh, now there's, essences of him that, that are woven all in, all throughout the, the right. Bible. Uh, but for the sake of the first couple episodes of this podcast, we're going to focus on the story of Jesus. Um, but to make sense of why Jesus matters, some foundations, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in learning about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the books of the Bible to look at. And I would actually recommend John. Right. Uh, I think that's the most simple one to understand. Um, but so, so we go, we, we said you don't start at the beginning, but let's go back to the beginning. beginning. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Trevor, if you had to sum up how the, the Bible starts, they call it creation. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, Mm -hmm. how would you sum it up? Right. Like in the simplest way, uh, 
everybody talks about creation, whether they're talking about creation or, or the beginning of the world, right? It's the, the reality that there was nothing. And then out of nowhere, nothing becomes some light. And then from light, it's, you know, skies, oceans, plants, animals, right? Like that God goes on this, this journey of a couple of days of creating things and filling the skies and filling the waters and filling things inside of those waters and putting animals on the plants or on the planet. Um, I bet rather, there were animals on the plants. <laughs> you know, there probably were some, some animals on the plants. That's right. That's right. But that, that there was literally just void darkness and then out of that darkness becomes the life as we know it. And it's just, it's a piece by piece. It's a puzzle, uh, a tapestry coming together um, to the place when eventually mankind is the last good thing that is created. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Adam. Right. Right. Adam. And then, and then his soon to be wife, Eve, um, God creates them last and he says that they are good and they bear his image. Both mm-hmm. of them bear our image. Yeah. And uh, when, when you read about this, it's people say, you know, perfection or people use the word Eden all the time to, to mm-hmm. describe something that is just perfect. Right. And so, mankind was created and what what did their relationship with god look like at that time to borrow your it was it was perfection you know i mean it says that they you know walked around this garden they were given you know all the plants and the you know the trees to eat from it says that they were you know living in harmony with animals i mean i can only imagine you know just being able to walk up to any, you know, any species of anything and just, you know, pick it up or pet it or, you know, I mean, just, just wild, um, you know, and, uh, and God was there Mm -hmm. in the garden amongst them. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the piece that's crazy to me when I think about the idea of perfection and creationism, right? That there are three things existing in one space in harmony. Yeah. That would be God, Adam and Eve, right? Mm -hmm. That those three entities um, without any anxieties, without any vulnerabilities, are just existing. You know, it even says that they were naked, right? Didn't you know? We can talk about that later, but like that they weren't afraid of that. Just that 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 is who they are, and that there's nothing to be ashamed of. And they were just alive and living and happy. I would say joyful, right? Like they were at peace. Yeah. And so, like when you think about perfection, for me, a piece of perfection definitely is connected to emotional or psychological, like that idea of just peace, like real peace. The ability to close your eyes at night and actually sleep rather than stay awake for 35 minutes thinking about all the things that happened that day. They're like, I wish I could have done that better. Yeah. But like just existing in a state of peace the entire time. Yeah. And when God created it, like when God was it, he made it that way. That was the way things were intended to be. Right. Yeah. Totally intended. Great word. It was like that for a little bit. It was good. It was perfect. Right. Uh, And then uh, something happened. Uh, sin entered the world, um, which I've heard a lot of people use archery as the, um, do you want to explain that Trevor? Right. So a lot of people talk about how sin is an archer's term, which means to have missed the mark. Um, so, uh, in an archery competition, you're typically so far away. You weren't sure if you actually hit your mark, your bullseye or the part they were telling you on the, on the target to hit. So if you hit it, they would tell you hit it. If you miss it, they would say sin, Mm. right? So it means to have just not hit a perfect shot. Mm-hmm. Right. So anything that is not perfect is sin. So everything was perfect. It was exactly as God intended it to be. And then everything got messed up <laughs> and led us to where we are, where we are today. Matt, what, what happened in the garden that, that changed everything? Well, it talks about the fact that, um, that Eve was tempted, 
you know, whether we want to call it being tempted by the devil or just evil in general, uh, whatever that looks like, but but it was something that occurred to to kind of move perfection out of the spotlight. Um, you know, it was it was said that the fruit of this tree was it was pleasing to the eye, that it was useful for gaining wisdom, that you know, so all of these different things that you know that humanity said, man, it would be great if I had knowledge. It would be great, um, you know, mm. but we weren't built to carry the full weight of the knowledge of everything that God knows. Mm. Uh, so because of that, we were, you know, we moved away from perfection because mm. we ended up knowing all of these things or being, you know, privy to mm. things that we were never really intended to have to grapple with. Mm. Uh, that we were never intended to uh, to bear. Yeah. Um, so once that entered the human mindset, uh, everything changed. It said that that Adam and Eve hid from God when He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Mm-hmm. And it says when when God called out to them, Adam comes out and says, "We hid because we were naked, so we were ashamed." Who told you that you were naked? You know, so so God goes into this whole conversation and you know and and starts to realize that they know things that they were never intended to mm. have to carry around. I like how you said that. There's a lot of stuff on a daily basis that none of us want to carry, whether it's uh, the anxiety of the moment or baggage from our past. Like yeah. we're 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 hanging on to stuff yeah. that is a result of this uh, uh like the original. Right. Sin, the original time when we said, no, God, I think I know better than you. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so for you guys, I mean, we were in a relationship for a long time when I had kids and you guys didn't, mm-hmm. you know, but now all of us have kids Yeah. and we all understand the concept of like, no, I don't want to like, I don't want to sit down and talk about financial problems with my children. Because yeah, they're just not old. built. Yeah. <laughs> they're not they're not built to carry that around. Right. You know, they they shouldn't have to wonder where their food is coming from or mm. or where the roof over their head is coming from because they're just not built to handle that. So, you know, so we get this perfect picture of what God Himself was trying to shelter humanity from mm-hmm. uh in, you know, in this picture of of how we raise our children, uh, how we, you know, help them to, you know, to live in the closest thing to perfection as we can provide. Mm. That is a powerful visual explaining, explain to your kids. When I think about perfection and then the entering of sin, I also think about the question of why is the tree there? And not that I have those answers, Mm. but the reality is like when I asked my wife to be, to marry me, I didn't hold her hand and have it handcuffed to mine because that's no real ask right that's a forcible like hey you're you're already in this yeah and in the same way at the at the question that god says to adam and eve almost he doesn't say it explicitly but please don't eat from this fruit he really says it's a command said do not eat from this fruit of this tree yeah you know and matt talked about why that's so beautiful why he wants to shelter them from that but the reality is that real love has the option to leave Mm. And that by giving the tree to the to Adam and Eve, he gave them the option to leave. And by by staying, they were staying in a relationship. 
yeah with without the tree at least and i could be wrong but as as i as i have thought this like there's no relationship there hmm. and god is god is even from the beginning it's a relationship it's it's hey will you choose me every day i've had the privilege of of doing a couple of weddings in my life and that's one of my favorite things to mm-hmm. ask the bride and the groom is, will you choose this man or this woman to be your wife, to be your husband on this day and every day hereafter? Mm-hmm. And at its, at its core, I think that's that's really where sin takes a leap is that God is saying, will you choose me or will you choose something else? And Adam and Eve didn't necessarily know what the something else was. It was that weight. It yeah. was that burden. But he's just asking them, hey, if you choose, if you choose me, the burden is released. Mm. The burden they don't even have yet. That's good. But that day, mankind turned their back on God. Right. And and walked away from that perfect yeah. relationship. Right. And there was no return policy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I... Uh, no Walmart needing. Yeah. Can I, can I put this back? I bought it and I, I realized it wasn't as great. Yeah. As, I didn't really need it. I already yeah. used it for everything I needed it for. <laughs> <laughs> so I packaged it back up and returned this. So we had this separation from God and uh, y- you may be familiar. There's a million and one movies and cartoons about it because it's part of history. Uh, many different cultures have chosen to try and make the gods happy by doing different forms of sacrifices, uh, burnt offerings, you know, climb to the top of the pyramid and do a sacrifice. And that's kind of human nature. It seems like, Oh, I did something wrong. I have to, I got to work at something to make sure that I can fix it. And so mankind went into this cycle of, I need to sacrifice these lambs, the, these animals, these crops, um, I need to sacrifice them to God to pay for my sins. Whenever I mess up, whenever my family does something uh, that's not in God's will, we need to we need to pay for it. Right, right. It's funny how humankind, like all of us, even like even with my 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 son who's three years old, like you can he can tell when he's done something wrong. Like he just knows it intrinsically, and then he will try to either fix it or run from it. Hmm. Like there's two distinct reactions that are very visceral for him at this age. But like, like uh. Like specifically this morning, I asked him to not hit me in the head with his horse that he has. He's this little stick horse, right? And I said, "Do not hit me. That hurt." Uh, and then request. he he did it again, like literally like twelve seconds later, and kind of looked at me. And I said, "What did I ask you?" And he ran. He just ran away. Oh. Just sprinted, right? You know that. But that's kind of his reaction. So I I end up letting him have him space, but I come back to him. But that that even at at, at such a young age, like a piece of humankind knows the idea. Of, of a broken relationship. Mm. And as we're contemplating this idea of sin and sin in the world in, in this never-ending cycle, that I think mankind has this intrinsic piece of themselves that is like, I know there's something wrong and I need to fix it. Part of that comes later as, you know, earlier in the scriptures, like part of that comes later with the commandments that are 10 rules and that everybody knows that these 10 rules are impossible to keep mm-hmm. and that they have to do these sacrifices in order to stay right or just with their God that it, that they occasionally have to do these sacrifices in order to stay on his good side, um, which makes sense, right? Because like hypothetically, like if my child just kept hitting me in the face of the horse, I would eventually ask him, you're going to have to show me that you actually don't want to hurt me, right? Hmm. Like I, that's a hard thing to say to a three-year-old, but the reality is like if he doesn't stop, then I'm going to have to leave the room in order to get him to stop because having the conversation isn't working. 
Hmm. Right? Wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so in the same way that that if we keep having these things that are offensive to our father being God, that he either has to choose to leave the room, right? Or we have to choose to say, hey, I'm, I'm actually sorry. And here's how I'm showing you I'm sorry. And so then we enter a time of thousands of years of sacrifices that the people throughout, you know, the Eastern world um, were doing these sacrifices. East of us, that is. But... Yeah. And I think, too, that, that one of the things that we look at is we're looking at it through a biblical context right now. But yeah. when you look at the rest of the world, like the idea of sacrifice and, you know, and, and being atoning for something and being made clean for something, that like it was all over, all over every religion, all over every, you know, so there's this, you know, there's this inborn deal that says because we were created in the image of God, Every person has this this tug, this pull to to something more, something greater, and they know that they've got to find a way to to make that relationship come clean again, you know, and and get back on level, mm-hmm. um, you know. So so we look at it from a biblical context, but this was something that was happening across the you know across the world. Every you know every walk, religion, you know anything. Um, and I believe that it's because we have that inborn tug, that pull right. uh, toward making a relationship right. So this whole animal sacrifices thing uh, is laid out in the book of Leviticus. I highly recommend you don't look for <laughs> answers at the beginning in Leviticus. <laughs> it's definitely a nitty gritty book of the Bible. Like I said, go to John first if you're looking for an introduction to to scripture. But we don't do these sacrifices anymore. If you went to any Christian church, they're not doing these sacrifices anymore. Which is cool. It's great. (laughs) It's fantastic. God had a different plan. He he had a plan to to fix this because the sacrifices were a never-ending cycle. Yeah, right. And that plan was for God to be the sacrifice. Right. And and so why was it important? Like, I mean, it's God. He's the one who lost his relationship, but he's going to be the quote unquote sacrifice. Hmm. He's going to pay for a relationship he didn't break. <laughs> right. Which shows love. First of all, uh, I want to be back in relationship with mankind so bad that I'm going to give my own self to do it. Right. Um, why did it have to be? God. Why couldn't an ox cover the sins of mankind? Why why is God able to do that? So buried in uh buried in the book of Hebrews, uh it says that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin. So so there had to be bloodshed in order for for sin to be forgiven and we would be in that same cycle having to shed blood when God decided to send his son Jesus to be that last sacrifice. The reason that he could be the last sacrifice is because it took that perfection from the garden and put it into the human form of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that perfection had its blood shed mm-hmm. so that it could be covered forever and ever. Mm. Uh, you know, so it was the it was the idea of Jesus being perfection in an earthly form that allowed it to be the last sacrifice. So 
no more animals, no more, you know, no more grain, no more anything, hmm. uh, because Jesus was perfection, right? Crucified. And if, you, if you marry that with the Roman scriptures, where it says the wages of sin is death, right? And so Jesus, being perfection, being without sin, mm-hmm. doesn't deserve a death, right? And so we basically have something that disrupts the entire original system. Yeah, that's good, mm. right? And so if the original system completely hinges on if sin, then death, what happens when some, when somebody has no sin but death? It breaks the system. Or in this case, it satisfies God's original system, hmm. that, the, that the blood of Christ is undeserving and thus covers the multitude of the sin of mankind yeah. because he did not deserve to die but willingly went to death even though he did not earn that wage. So rather paid the wages yeah. mm. of everyone else. It steals back perfection. Right. You just said a lot right there, Trevor. A perfect human being, a perfect being were to lay down its life in payment for sin. Something that didn't deserve death. Right. That breaks the system. Right. So like we can talk about this a little differently like this, that, that, that an animal is going to die, right? Like scripture is pretty, like doesn't really talk about like the animal life expectancy, but the reality is animals die. However, the sacrificial animal was to be bl- like to be unblemished, right? So it was supposedly mm. the best animal, and what that meant was it was the most valuable animal, whether it's a sheep or a goat or a bull or an ox. Like it was the best, most valuable thing you had. It was the Lamborghini, if you would, right? <laughs> like Lamb. if you, yeah, if you're in my family, it was the Honda Accord of hey. your family, right? But it was the pristine one, no dents, leather interior, and a sunroof. It was the most valuable thing that you had. Yeah. And so instead of selling that most valuable thing because of your sin, you offered it to your God and your God looked at you and he said, you understand your your wretchedness and you're giving to me the thing that is of most value and I will exchange for you a forgiveness of sin. Mm. Because God is saying like, this, this isn't covering it, but what you're understanding by this, by this sacrifice is you're understanding that like you and I are broken, we're yeah. separated, and you want to come back. Right. This mm-hmm. is your confession of, this is a posturing of you mm-hmm. wanting to return. The reality is you have to continue to do that and continue to say to God, I want to return, I want to return, because those sins are ongoing, right? Like we are like we know that we're not like great people. Like I know that I'm not a great person. Like I try, but I know that I fall short. We don't have to talk about that because like that's a little vulnerable for me. <laughs> I don't want to be put on the spotlight like that. But the idea of Jesus is that not only is Jesus not deserved to die, but by the system he he wasn't going to. Yeah. Huh. Whereas animals were. And he's not giving up something that he owns that's value. God is giving the thing that he owns that's value. Hmm. Which is himself, his son. Right? And so Jesus gives his life the only thing that matters in that time, right? Like obviously animals were collected, grain was collected, wine was collected, if you would, to basically be able to continue to live until you died. Jesus said, none of that actually has any value. I'm going to give the only real thing that we're striving to protect, which is life, so that you might actually have it. Mm. And and it's also it's important to think too that when the sacrifice was offered, it wasn't really about the sacrifice. Like Trevor said, it was about coming to that reckoning, coming to that space where it was like, I'm going to give this grain, I'm going to give this animal, I'm going to spill this blood to let you know that I understand that that we're broken because Right, because God did the forgiving. Hmm. It had nothing to do with the animal, the grain, the meat, the you know, the anything. It was it was God Himself that did the forgiving, and always has been, and always will be. Hmm. Uh, it was just a a token. It was just a symbol 
to be put into place until Jesus entered that space where that was it. Never had to happen again. That's good. Here's, oh, who's, is someone coming? (laughs) I know that sound. Is that a clatter? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, people have heard the phrase, keep Christ in Christmas over and over and over again. Um, because we, we celebrate Christmas because we, we want to remember the time that God left, you know, his perfect place up in heaven and he came down in the form of a, of a baby, Jesus, the, the savior of the world. He could have showed up as he could have showed up as a, a king or as, uh, an athlete, <laughs> <laughs> someone of influence. So yeah, right. He, he could have showed up already a grown man, you know, respect me, but no, he humbled himself and was born a baby. Yeah. In a pretty terrible place in a manger, (laughs) which as a kid, I never knew that manger really meant stable. Yeah. And you know what that's like from your life. Yeah. Yeah. We had alpacas when I was growing up, but like, yeah, like you'll, you'll get your nativity set and you'll think, Oh, this is a wonderful, nice starry night. But yeah, it wasn't anything like that. Well, there were probably stars. Here. Right, but they couldn't see them. They were literally under a building, right? Like back then, yeah, the stables yeah. were dug under houses, right? So, but like, <clears throat> like Christmas is great. Christmas, like my family, like that's our favorite holiday. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I just kind of always loved Christmas. There's a hope at Christmas time that exists nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a young child with within a family system that wasn't always hopeful, everything for about 26 days was hope filled. Yeah. Yeah. The the anticipation of going to get the tree, bringing the tree home, setting it up, all of those things, while they were fun and kind of traditional in my family, they had an aspect of hope. And for me, completely untethered to faith, was the hope of a new toy mm-hmm. that came on the 25th. But that hope was just, no matter how good or bad I had been, I knew that there was never going to be coal, right? Because I knew that my parents, even if we had or did not have much money, there was going to be something for me. And so for for 20 some days, I had the hope of looking forward to a gift, but really it brings new hope for the first time in the history of humanity, that there's hope that this system that is really, really arduous, really, really hard, it takes a lot of your money and your time in order to show God, right? And Jesus is coming to to satisfy and rewrite. Mm. And so there's so much hope in the story of Christmas. Yeah. And that's why that's why I love Christmas is because he's we know that at the night that Jesus is born in a manger, albeit a dirty place with animals around because they went back to their hometown and there was nowhere for them to stay. Like it was just a full night at the Holiday Inn and there wasn't anything. And they said, y'all can go to the parking garage. <laughs> and they said, OK, because this baby's coming, I got to I got to go somewhere. Yeah. And so Jesus, the God incarnate, you know, in John 1, 14, it says the word became flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus comes, puts on skin and is born literally in a dirty manger, a dirty stable where they would keep animals. And I can't fathom anything being more humbling than that. Right. We just had a baby and (laughs) I'm thinking through that, like, wow, everything's sterilized where we were. And yeah. Oh, what's or warm blankets. And right. And the beauty of it is that God, even in that moment is saying everything is valuable. Mm. even from the stable beneath the house every person is valuable and this is where he chooses to raise up and and undo it he's going to rewrite it from the bottom all the way to the top 
Thanks for joining us for the first episode of the Bite Size Bible. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about who Jesus is and the time that he spent on the earth. But that's a whole other mouthful, so we'll cover it next time on the Bite Size Bible. Thank you.